this last year, out of 24 years in the music business, I made more records than I've ever done, and I made the most amount of money ever in my history in Nashville. And I had stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hello, and welcome to How to Fail Successfully, the podcast that teaches the steps to success through the stories of failures. I'm so happy that you can join me as I interview some of my favorite people and encourage them to share their story with you. I'm Matthew Carrier, and this is How to Fail Successfully. If you're going through hell, keep on going. Don't slow down. If you're scared, don't show up. You might get out before the devil even knows you're there. If you're going through hell, keep on moving. Face that fire. Walk right through it. You might get out before the devil even knows you're there. These are the lyrics to a song by Rodney Atkins called If You're Going Through Hell. Some of you may have heard it. Some of you may have lived it. And some of you may currently be in it. In today's episode, I have a sit-down with country music mixer and mixer of that number one song, Billy Decker. Billy has mixed 14 number one country songs, working with artists like Kenny Chesney, Rodney Atkins, Darius Rucker, Jason Aldean, and Sam Hunt. More recently, Billy finished up chemo for stage 3 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. As much as I wanted to have Billy share some of his tricks and tips with me and spend the entire time nerding out about different mixing techniques, I decided instead to focus on Billy Decker, the person. When I first started this podcast, these were the conversations I set out to have and share with you. If you're wanting to learn some mixing tricks from him, he's got plenty of videos online. But if you want to learn what it takes to fail successfully, continue listening. Here's my conversation with Billy Decker. Hello. Good morning to everybody out there in podcast land. As I've already mentioned, I'm excited and thankful you have agreed to join us today. If you don't mind, could you fill us in a little bit on what you're working on today? Well, I am a recording engineer. Uh, I've been mixing country music for about 19 years here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I'm originally from Nebraska, born and raised in the middle of the United States. Uh, Grew up in a small town just south of Lincoln, Nebraska, about 12,000 people. So we literally have dirt roads you know? <laughs> so the whole country music morph thing where i ended up actually makes sense because i actually grew up uh on a dirt road to be honest with you this week i'm actually just working on rodney atkins brand new record uh awesome yeah so i'm i'm killing careers right here as we speak my friend let's kind of go back to the beginning and just lead us to how you've gotten to where you are today Sure. Well, like I said, I was born and raised in Nebraska. Uh, I had always been interested in music. Uh, My father was a pharmacist in a small town, like I said, Beatrice, Nebraska. It was like 12,000 people. Uh, So everybody knew everybody. I just turned 50 this year. So I can literally say we used to leave our car doors unlocked growing up. We used to ride our bikes all the way across town to go swimming. And the only stipulation my mom whatever say is just be back by night you know when it gets dark just come home so uh, with that in mind I ended up going graduating high school and went to a bigger university being from a small town I wanted to do something bigger and not necessarily better just bigger you know 
I went to the University of Nebraska, got a degree in uh, criminal justice, and was going to pursue a career in some type of law enforcement. And at the 11th hour, I kind of bailed on it just because I didn't think I could actually shoot somebody and live with myself. Now, being 50 years old, being married <laughs> with two kids, I can shoot anybody now, you know? That's awesome. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. That's figure speech. Uh, so I had always played in bands, and that was kind of my part-time job in college, uh, playing in a band, you know, for fraternity, sorority parties, bars, whatever. It was a great side job. And the bands that had the best demo tapes got paid more money and it got the best gigs. So I'm well, like, you know first what? First off, what did you play? I played guitar, just okay. enough not to embarrass myself. And okay. I actually, if you don't mind me saying this without sounding conceited, I looked better than I actually played. You know what okay. I mean? Okay. I had All a right. pretty good mullet going on back All in the right. day. Boots, 501G, you know, I had the whole look down. So, But anyway, I figured if I can make more money for my band... Uh, that would be awesome. Get better gigs. So I went and paid out of my own pocket. My folks covered my college. God bless them. And uh, after that, they said if I wanted to do anything further, it was out of my pocket. So I took out a loan and went to a school called Full Sail. Uh, it's back, I guess the correct title is Full Sail Center for the Recording Arts. And it was a nine-month program at the time. And it basically taught you how to be a recording engineer. And that's in Florida, right? Yes, Orlando, Florida. So I went down there and went through a nine-month course. Now it's two years, and it costs about three times what I paid back in the day. Yeah. But uh, it kind of gave me the basics, you know. But when I got down there, after about two weeks of learning about the industry, I realized, oh, I'm way better at making the music than actually performing it. So... Uh, in a recording studio, there's an area where the techs, the technical people sit behind the consoles. Then there's a pane of glass, big thick pane of glass, or two panes of glass. And then the artists sit on the other side. So you always see the people in the studio behind the glass. So I always tell everybody when I got to Full Sail, I realized I was way better on this side of the glass than that other side, you know? Yeah. yeah. So after that, I went to uh, the Virgin Islands and did an internship. Uh, learning how to do reggae music. And that only lasted for about, oh, three weeks until I ran out of money. So I came back to the did state. You keep, did you keep the mullet? Uh, yes. But by then, I had learned that mullets weren't cool, so I used to slick my hair back, pull it in a tight ponytail like our friend we were recently talking to used yes, to do back yes. in the day. Uh, so then I came back uh, and pursued another internship out in... California in San Francisco and that one lasted about three months and I worked with a bunch of national acts out there as an assistant engineer from there I came back uh, and started sending out resumes looking for a job probably 1991 92 maybe 93 I can't quite remember the year but uh, I ended up getting three job offers and I took the one that was in Virginia Beach Virginia doing hip-hop and R&B so I went and did that for about two years, a year and a half, two years. And a friend of mine moved to Nashville, and the work was a little bit at the studio, uh, kind of drying up a little bit, not much, because there was a big resurgence in R&B in Virginia Beach after I left, ironically enough. <laughs> but I have no regrets, no regrets. Live your life with no regrets. 
sometimes it's good to fail. Sometimes it's good to fall. Because when you pick yourself back up, that's when something usually good happens that you, you weren't expecting. So I actually uh, was married at the time, no kids. And uh, my wife and I credit carded a move to Nashville because a friend of mine moved down here and said, if you're halfway decent, this is like the recording mecca of the world. There's a gazillion recording studio, so you should be able to find something. So we moved down, uh, went around, put out resumes, uh, networked, all that stuff. Took about four years before anything really started going. So in the meantime, uh, here I am with a criminal justice degree from the University of Nebraska in my hip pocket, and I'm waiting tables at Longhorn Steaks. Uh, And the reason they wouldn't, oh no, I was washing dishes, excuse me. I, I gave myself a raise there. I shouldn't have. They would not let me wait tables because my hair was too long and I didn't want to cut it. So I was washing dishes. I didn't care. I just needed to make a living. So I did that. And then uh, in the meantime, I had pursued a bunch of studios and one of them eventually became open. So I started at the bottom rung, worked my way up. And 19 years later... Uh, I'm on my 14th number one as a mixer, and life's pretty good. I got to be honest with you. So it's amazing. It was basically a I was an overnight success that took about 23 years. <laughs> That's the country country way, right? <laughs> well, usually they say it's a five year town. I guess mine took what 23. Four, 23, yeah, four yeah. four times that much. Yeah. But but I'm not complaining. I love my job. It's like a paid hobby. So every day I come to work. I get paid to listen to music. It's it's fantastic, you know. One of the cool stories I heard about you was how you can just you know, you throw the wave file in and you can just eye it and say, "Yeah, that's going to have to be bumped up a little bit more." You know, you, you, what would you say you put your chest up against your desk to, I do. to feel yeah. if it has enough low end on it. I love that. Yeah, if it rumbles. I, I've got a lot of weird quirks, but it it's served me pretty well over the years. Uh, I do almost mix by sight as much as I do with my ears anymore, just because I've, I know that a, a waveform, a piece of audio has to be a certain height, uh, meaning it's got to be big enough and or loud enough, I should say, rather than too quiet so that it hits a particular effect that I'm doing at the right volume. Otherwise it won't do what I want it to do. So, and that just comes, I mean, what do they say? To to be super, really good at something, you need to spend like 10,000 hours or something? Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. I, I mean, I've gone past that probably three <laughs> times. So I yeah. tell everybody, if it doesn't sound good at this point in my career, you don't need to be working with me. I better know my stuff after this long. <laughs> so I better be able to just pop something in and almost eyeball it, and, and away we go, you know? Was there ever a moment in your career where you thought, I don't want to do this anymore? Oh, you know what? I honestly don't think so. I mean, everybody has days where obviously you get burnout, you know, or you see something out there and you're like, wow, how come I didn't get called to do that? I could do that in a heartbeat, you know? But I think that's that happens to your athletes if they try out for a team and possibly don't make it and know that they could have done as good a job, if not better, you know? Uh, but... Just like athletics and the art world, I mean, any part of life, there's more to it than just being able to do it. Uh, In my estimation, the biggest things that all these recording schools or athletic schools, the thing they don't teach that makes the world go around, in my estimation, is people skills. And I don't know 
if you can teach that. You can try. Interesting. But I yeah. really think some people are just born to blab about themselves and talk about how great they are. <laughs> I'm one of them. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, some people are more introverted or shy and have a hard time communicating with other people. Other people are just born talkers, you know what yeah. I mean? And and are very much into like the whole people person thing and networking. Uh, I'd like to think I'm somewhere in the middle and I'm just harmless <laughs> enough where everybody's like, I had I have one friend going. Actually, he said he, he was a bit, he's a very successful songwriter. And he goes, you know what, Decker? He goes, some of the stuff you say coming out of anybody else's mouth would probably get you punched in the face, but for some reason, out of your mouth, it's almost endearing. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm like, I think that's a compliment, or I'm going to be knocked out the next time I say something like that. But no, I, I really think if I could go back and do it all over again. Uh, I would almost tell everybody at that school that I went to way back in the day, we can all learn how to do the technical stuff, but seriously, focus on just your day-to-day -day people skills, being a decent human. That will get you more work than almost being able to do the job. I've, I've actually had clients say, Decker, you're not the best, but you know what? You're one of the nicest dudes. You're pretty cool to hang out with. So we're coming back for that reason. You know, even though you may not be the best engineer, we just like what, what hanging out with you, you know? And so my point is, once you get to a certain point, we can all do a job at a certain point. If you're a football player, there's 10 guys that can do exactly what you can do. And I'm telling you, people skills will, will put you over the top. It will get you that extra 10% that's going to either keep you on the team endear you to the owners who ultimately are, you know, going to be the ones that decide if you're hired or fired or your employer, whatever, just people skills. I can't emphasize it enough. You had a little bit of an interesting year this last year. Yes. Uh, Non-business related. Oh, yeah. Would you like to share that with us? I'd be happy to. In uh, June of this last year, coming up almost on one year now this June, uh, my family and I took a vacation to Florida and I dove in. We were down there for about a week in the panhandle and I was splashing around the ocean. Probably the third day we were down there and, you know, come back all sunburnt after that day. Uh, realized my underarm was kind of bothering me and I thought maybe I got stung by a jellyfish or something because my left underarm kind of swelled up and was puffy. Fast forward three weeks, we get back to Nashville. I've got a tennis ball sized bump underneath my left arm. So I go in, get it looked at, and sure enough, the biopsy comes back. Billy Decker, you got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, they're like, you basically have, uh, they say, usually two years if you don't do anything. Like if I didn't do anything, they're like, you probably got two years and then the, it would spread throughout your body, and it basically is your lymph nodes just swelling up and going crazy, and you'll die if you don't do anything. And they say, we don't want to cut them out because uh, it's part of your immune system. So for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, they said the best thing to do is kill it with drugs, meaning chemotherapy. So I'm like, okay, let's go. So I sign up, and... Uh, they went ahead and hit me with uh, chemo for 
almost five months. You know, you go in. Uh, I scheduled mine on a Friday uh, so I could recuperate over the weekend. And they give you three weeks and then they hit you again. Then they, you know, you recuperate for three weeks and they hit you again. And I have no idea why, but I had zero side effects other than I lost a little bit of my taste buds for about wow. two weeks in time for it to come back. And then, you know, they would try to poison me again. But I had no nausea, never threw up, never got sick, didn't have any fatigue. I actually tried to mow the grass the day after I came home from my first chemo until my wife yelled at me and was like, get inside. They just tried to kill you. Are you insane? Go lay on the couch. Go watch Netflix. I'm like, I feel fine. So that happened. Uh, one of the drugs uh, infamously takes your hair. It kind of kills it, you know. And after about three weeks, uh, I kind of pulled on some hair and it started coming out. So I was like, oh, I ain't going to be this dude. So I just went full Mr. Clean. I went ahead and took the razor. My wife buzzed my hair, you know, and I went ahead and just skimmed it clean with shaving cream and did the whole bald thing for about, you know, almost six months. Uh, and then your eyebrows thin out a bit. But, you know, as far as energy-wise and life, I didn't miss a day of work. Uh, and I did decide to keep it under wraps. And I'll tell you why. And this may not be for everybody, but... Uh, say I tell you, say we're friends and I say, you know, this is going on and you go, oh man, Decker's going through some stuff. Let's not bother him. You know, let's, let's give him a, a little space. I lose work unintentionally from you being nice. Yeah. And then there's other people where I would say, and they're like, there ain't no way in hell we're hiring Decker. He's going, they're poisoning him. The dude's not in his right mind. How can he mix? You know, he's sick. I lose work. Anyway, I tried to walk through it or manipulate it, I couldn't figure out how I wouldn't lose work. So I just decided to keep my mouth shut. And then finally, when I beat it and got the all clear, then I went ahead and I did like a <laughs> Facebook post and I had people calling up going, what the hell? Really, dude? So. Wow. I think it was good. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Ironically enough, this last year, out of 24 years in the music business, I made more records than I've ever done, and I made the most amount of money ever in my history in Nashville. And I had stage three non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I'm a big believer in the good Lord, and I know for a fact he didn't give me cancer, but when I found out I had I think he looked down and he goes, you know what, dude, I'm going to make this real easy on you. <laughs> so, but he said, I'm going to need something in return. And I firmly believe that he has turned me into a nicer person because of it. And I think I was given just a little glimpse into the secret of life. Uh, you know, you got you have a bunch of late night conversations by yourself with your higher power when you're told you may not make it, you know. And uh, I firmly believe he gave me a little glimpse and, and what I took away from it was just be a good person to everybody help everybody anybody needs help don't even think about it just help them you know just be a good dude live your life don't waste a day because you may get up tomorrow and you may have cancer you know so be thankful for what you got be a good person help anybody and there you go so nobody 
saw you shaving your head and thought, like, why is he shaving his head? Or is that just your personality? Or, or... <laughs> Well, no, I had a couple people, and I was like, you know what? I just was ready for a change. <laughs> but then I had other people come in, and they were like, dude, you kind of look pale. What? And they're like, dude, what happened to your eyebrows? They're like, dude, come on, what's going on? So uh, a few people figured it out, but yeah. you know what I did? I was able to just wear hats and kind of just fly under the radar. I do mix a lot by myself. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, clients will communicate over email or the phone. It's not like I have people in every day. So, I mean, I literally can mix for somebody and not see them for three months, you know, but be in constant communication. So I can talk to them three times a week, but not see them for three months, you know? So, but no, some people did figure it out. And I'll tell you the best thing about having to shave your head is you get to see all the dents that are in there from like your brothers hitting you with Tonka trucks <laughs> when you're like seven and eight and you get to see all your battle scars. And yeah. So my awesome. wife always would say, she's like, I think your head's kind of a good shape. She's got, she's like, but you do have pointy ears and you got a lot of dents in your head. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, babe. Did I tell you I got cancer, by the way? No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. She's a good, she's a good woman. I couldn't have made it without her. So she, yeah. she took very, very good care of me. And I attribute my family, uh, in specific, her, my daughter, and my son for, you know, taking care of old pops and making sure every, every, everything got done. So, Did you tell your kids? Yes. Yes. I, uh, I told them the day we found out. So they, uh, my son is 21 and my daughter is 18 now. So okay. unfortunately okay. we found out I had cancer on my daughter's 18th birthday. Oh man. My first chemo was on my son's 21st birthday. Uh, so I didn't even get a drink of beer with him when he turned 21. Oh. And then my wife's birthday was in December and we basically just blew that off, you know, cause I was just finishing up. But what we did do is, uh, once I got the all clear, we went down to Mexico and celebrated all together. Good. So yeah. Good. Good. But the, the happy ending to the story is I beat it. Uh, I go in every six months and they do like a little scan and whatnot and a blood test to see if it's coming back. They said, Chances are, if it's going to come back, it'll come back in the first two years. But, dude, I'm telling you, it ain't coming back. I smoked it. It's gone. It's gone. It was a little Congrats. test put to me. I beat it. Yeah. Let's rock on. Congrats. Thank you. That's Thank great. you. Yeah. And anybody else that, by chance, ever gets it, do not think it's a death sentence by any means. What was in your mind the moment you found out? Were you instantly thinking, I'm going to do this? I'm going to be happy and we're going to get through this or what was in your mind during that moment? You know what? When I found out I got it, I got pissed. I yeah. was mad and I channeled that instead of being mad or laying around going, Oh, I'm dying. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to literally, I'm just going to crush it. I, I am not, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to let it get me. So, and my wife will tell this story. Uh, I didn't know she said this, but she told God, we were somewhere the other, or she went somewhere the other day, and my friend told me this. Because you never usually hear compliments and stuff on a regular basis. Well, I don't, that, that sounds horrible. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You don't hear your wife going, oh, my husband, you know, I was so amazed yeah. at something. But yeah. uh, my buddy said my wife was amazed. She has never 
seen such, she said, determination and such a positive outlook that it blew her away. And I had wow. never heard that from her. And my friend told me that. So getting back to your point, uh, yes, I think uh, I'm a big believer in the mind is super untapped. You know what I mean? And your mind will control your body. So if you just say, hey, I'm going to do this and you're convinced you will, you're, you're going to do it, you know? So I, I wasn't going to take no for an answer. I'm like, dude, I just turned 50. You know, I got my, I'm, my, I'm at the pinnacle of my career. It's going great. I got two great kids, you know, great wife. Everything's going good. There's no way I'm, I'm going to stop or, or check out this soon. I'm curious about something. You were the busiest that you have ever been. In the same year that you found out you had cancer, mentally, do you think that your drive to beat cancer poured out into your own business? Was there a correlation between the two, do you think? Yeah, I, th I think it did. I think uh, I've always been really positive, and, and I'm kind of known. A friend of mine told me this. He goes, you may not know this, dude, but you're like the guy in town where you can we can kick you in the nuts and you'll ask hey may i have another you know and they say you have the patience of job and i and my wife is like i have no idea why they say that because you come home and you're like the meanest net you're kicking the dog putting your fist through and i'm like it's because i'm being nice to everybody during the day <laughs> i'm tired when i get home <laughs> exactly so but no i think that probably kicked into overdrive yeah. you know and it, it gave me a reason to to just maybe intensify it, you know? Not a whole lot, because I've always been that way. I'm just, uh, I'm really big into customer service, and I never forget who my boss is. And in the music business, every day I have a new boss, you know? And the boss is the record company, the artist, the producer, the songwriter, whoever's hiring me to mix. And I try not to forget that. Uh, I've got friends who I know for a fact have forgotten that many times and they're sitting on the couch waiting for the phone to ring, you know, sucking the salt off Fritos. I ain't going to be that guy. So <laughs> I, uh, I tell everybody I will mix. You have audio, I'll mix, you know. Uh, we'll always find a way to make it work monetarily. And uh, I literally love what I do. So I would rather be in here making maybe not as much money as maybe somebody else. But to me... Every day I come to work, it's like paid practice, you know? Somebody is paying me to do what I love, so I don't. I, I try not to take it for granted. One of the questions I asked a previous guest, and I'm curious about your opinion on this. Okay. Do you think that people that are getting into the industry should ever work for free? I did, and I have. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Yes, and I'll tell you why. Uh, in the music business, especially in the mixing world... There's something called a shootout where, say, a particular song will be given to two, maybe three mixers. And the guy that does it the best wins the shootout. Uh, sometimes they're paid, sometimes they're not. So I tell everybody I've lost, well, I don't want to tell you how many I've lost or won, but <laughs> let's just put it this way. I've, I have maybe lost two in my lifetime. Okay. And every other one I've won, I've put my, uh, what's the saying? Put your mouth where you, put your money where your mouth is. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, put your mouth where your money is. Put yeah. your money where your mouth is. Uh, give me the song. 
let me show you what I can do. I'll get this gig. I don't lose. That's what I tell everybody. You know, I put yeah, on this, yeah, yeah. this brave face. Uh, sure, I've been beaten a couple times, but for the most part, every record I've gotten has come from either a shootout, me proving my worth before I was paid, or me giving 110% on a demo that somebody heard and they're like, oh, wow, that sounds great. Let's call him. Listen to the sound of that demo. You know, it's a crappy little hour-long demo that costs a few hundred bucks, you know. Let's hire him to do the record. So, absolutely. I would say, if you feel confident about what you can do, no matter what industry you're in, put your, gosh dang it, put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> Sorry, not enough coffee yet. Put your money where your mouth is and show everybody what you can do. And yeah. you know what? If you take away that pressure of being paid, you would be shocked at how good you'll do. Because you're just like, you know what? I got nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. And you'll do something you won't even think about doing, and you'll end up getting the gig. You know what I mean? I love it. Love it. Yes, thank you. So, yes, I would, uh, I mean, don't work for free every day. You got to yeah. make a living. But you know what? If if uh, some opportunity comes along and you want to you wanna do it, and I got called to mix a... Uh, a song out of my genre. I mean, I'm mostly known for just mixing country because obviously we're in Nashville. And uh, I got a song from a rock band and they're like, dude, I got to be honest, you're up against rock guys that do this every day. I'm like, give it to me. I'll do it for free. And they're like, they're paying these other guys to shoot out. I'm like, nope, I want to do this for free. I'm, I'm the odd man out. Yeah. Guess what? You got it. I got it. Yes. I got it. It comes yeah. out next month. Awesome. So... That's cool. Yeah. But they, they end up paying you on the back end, right? Or oh, still, oh, yeah. I got yeah, the whole record. Okay, okay, I ended up okay. doing the whole record oh, gotcha. by wow. putting my money, money where, my mouth. where your mouth is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so every, every podcast, I like to ask these two questions. And the first question is, what is your definition of failure? Quitting. If you quit something, you fail. As long as you don't quit, you will not fail. I don't care. Say I lost that shootout. If I wouldn't have done it, I would have failed. If I didn't get it, but I tried, that's not failing. That's just not getting a gig. You know what I mean? The only way you fail at something is if you quit or give up. So I would say, just don't quit. You know, everybody, everybody misses from time to time. A baseball guy, you know, Swings and misses. He doesn't hit a home run every time. Doesn't mean he sucks. Doesn't mean he ain't like an MVP, you know? He just maybe swung too hard, took his eye off the ball. Everybody takes their eye off the ball. Just don't quit. What At what point, though, do you recognize you possibly aren't in your right industry or your right field? Um, so, like, let's say you were to be – you want to be a basketball player. Okay. Okay. I don't know how tall you are. I'm 5'10". 5'10". Okay. So maybe a short point guard, maybe? Yeah. But you don't have the, quite the skill set. So oh, is I'll, it I'll tell you right. I'll you tell s- you right now. I suck at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm pretty failure? decent. I'm pretty decent at tennis. Okay. Well, I'll still stick with basketball because <laughs> it, <laughs> it helps no my chance. analogy better. <laughs> okay. Go to tennis. Go to tennis. At what stage do you say, I'm not going to be a professional? Is it failure if you stop pursuing that no and uh, let me tell you why i think you need to be able to self-barometer yourself 
you need to be honest with yourself. Uh, I work in an industry where everybody wants to be a singer. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to be an artist. Everybody wants to be on the radio. There comes a point where you have to be honest with yourself. And we'll take tennis, for instance, okay? <laughs> the best guy in the world, arguably, Roger Federer. Yes. Best tennis player on the face of the planet. Can I go out today, play with Roger Federer, and make it competitive? Maybe even take a set off him. Can I beat him? No, no, and no. <laughs> so I'm going to say, you know what? Tennis probably is not my thing. Now, let's put it in music, okay? Can I go up against some of the top mixers in the world and give them a run for their money? Maybe even beat them in a shootout? Yes, yes, and yes. I can honestly say that because I've done it. Uh, I really think you've got to be honest with yourself and most importantly, listen to your mom. Okay? Because your mom is always the one that says, oh, you know, everybody else thinks I'm crappy, but your mom always loves you. All right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, if your mom comes up to you and says, Billy, you don't have a chance in hell against Roger Federer. Listen to your mom. <laughs> So be your own self barometer and listen to your mom. <laughs> <clears throat> that was great. Um, because my, my mom thinks I'm wonderful at everything. So just that, that part doesn't work exactly too much. Um, ask, yeah. a, ask her to be honest, say, do I have the skill sets to put Howard Stern out of business on his radio show? Mm. Ask her that. She, she wouldn't know. She wouldn't know who that was. Uh, so. find, find somebody. Find somebody. And if she yes. says, "You know what? You're not too bad. You may have yeah. a shot." Yeah. Listen to your mom. Yeah. And if your mom says, "You need to start, you know, digging palm tree holes in Florida for a living," give up the radio career. Give up the <laughs> mic. Move to Florida. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, okay. On the flip side of that, though, how would you define success? Uh. Success, in my estimation, would be putting me and Roger Federer in a recording studio and asking both of us to mix a song. <laughs> <laughs> then, when I beat him, I can you say, are successful. I'm a success. <laughs> no, um, in all honesty, uh, I don't care how much money one makes. I don't care what car you drive. I don't care about anything all that. What I can call a success is doing whatever you love and being able to come home at the end of the day and going, you know what? That makes me happy. I'm a happy guy. You know what? I, I, uh, I just mixed a song. I'm happy. I made money. I love doing what I do. I, uh, I go, I love mowing my grass. So I'm going to say landscaper. I love cutting grass. I love landscaping. I come home at the end of the day, it's like, I'm sweaty, I'm hot. You know what? I made a living. I'm a happy dude. I can't wait to get up and do it again tomorrow. If you can actually say, I love what I do, and I can't wait to get up and do it again tomorrow, that's a success. I don't care what you're doing. Has that been your mentality your whole career, or has that been more recently? Yeah, because I've had jobs where I didn't want to get up the next day. And I could do it, but I never would come home and go, you know what? 
I feel good about myself. I'm ready to go get it again tomorrow, you know. But if you can look at yourself in the mirror with that self-barometer we were talking about and you're happy, dude, I'm telling you, I'll take happy over money, success, anything like that any day. So in my estimation, just being happy is what I call a success. So are you successful according to your definition? Well, let me spin the computer around. I'm sitting in a studio right now. I've got the TV on. And before I was talking to you, I was getting paid to listen to music. And when I go home tonight, I'm going to be like, you know what? I can't wait to get up and do it again tomorrow. And I'll check my email, and hopefully there'll be somebody in there wanting me to mix a song. If not, I'll take a day off, but I'm still happy. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. I'm going to say yeah. And I was yeah. just as happy before I made money as as I do now, you know? Yeah. So, if if you don't mind, can you leave a piece of advice or something you've learned that will help our listeners as they continue to pursue their passions and dreams? Oh, that's a good one. I heard something last night and I almost wrote it down. And I forgot it, but it was super poetic. Something about failure would have tied in here great. But uh, I'll leave you with this. And this is what my father always used to tell me, God rest his soul. Uh, Do what you say, or no, say what you're going to do, and then do what you say. So I've tried to model my life after that. He was a small-town pharmacist that would get a call Uh, at two in the morning because a lady had a baby that had colic or an ear infection he would get up put on just enough clothes to get down to the pharmacy fill a prescription and drive it over to those people's house and I actually got up in the middle of the night and went with him a bunch uh, just because he was always you know getting up in the middle of the night and I'd get up and be like yeah where are you going he's like you want to go to the store I got to deliver I'm like sure why not so but I've tried to take that and apply it in my life. So uh, if you come to me and say, will you do this? I'm going to say, I'm going to do this, 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 and guess what? I'm going to do it for exactly what I said I'm going to do, and I'll probably go above and beyond because that's what he taught me to do. So treat people like you want to be treated, and your life will be happy. Do what you love, treat other people well, and don't ever try to play tennis against Roger Federer. I think you'll be all right. <laughs> and listen to your mother. And listen to your mother, yes. <laughs> Love it. Well, Billy, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. What did I take from this episode? I believe that anytime you hear stories of tragedies or you yourself are in the midst of one, there is this moment of clarity surrounding your purpose in life. I believe it sometimes helps remind you what is actually the most important thing in your life. That brief moment you can refocus your priorities and possibly slow down, shut off the the TV, close the laptop, and just take a look around you and appreciate that at this current moment you are breathing. You are living and hopefully you are, if you're listening to this podcast, you are looking for ways that you can encourage and serve your fellow man. After 26 episodes, it's hard not to see some patterns forming with all of my successful guests. Those that are aligned in their purpose are the happiest. Happiness seems to bring on this feeling of success. 
and not the other way around. So let me repeat that. Happiness brings on a feeling of success, not the other way around. Let me tell you a little bit about next week's episode. I'll be having a conversation with the founder of Artist Uprising, which was currently featured in Forbes magazine as Dallas's number one fastest growing company. Here's the clip. So monetarily speaking, I mean, you're, you know, you're talking about a $300,000 loss. You're talking about blood, sweat, and tears and time away from your family late, late nights. And all of it just seems like it's just gone, like it just didn't happen. I went through two pregnancies while trying to get this technology out. Actually, when my second kid came around, I gave birth, had him in the hospital with me, in the middle of the night, was still texting with my developers. That's next week.